Folks, Big Jake here just to take a minute and remind you that Music the Lifeblood is not a politically correct podcast. So the following episode might have some colorful commentary on the subjects at hand. Listener discretion is advised. Sitting around with time to kill. If we don't do it, then no one will. Our eyes are cold, our thoughts are old. Fifteen minutes till we lose control. You are now listening to... Music, the lifeblood. Generation behind, going nowhere's just fine. Maybe tonight's the night we die. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Music the Lightblood. I am your very humble host, Dustin. We've got an extra ultra mega special edition of Music the Lifeblood. Why? Because Bobby Steele. That's why. Bobby has a badass career starting off with his time playing guitar in the Misfits and eventually going on to front and lead the punk rock powerhouse that is the undead. I was fortunate enough to talk at length with Bobby about all kinds of things, from his near-death experience with a nasty blood infection, marriage and family, all the way up to his feelings on punk rock and beyond. It was a great conversation. But before we get into that, I want to take a minute and remind everyone that Music the Lightblood is available on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter. There's also our YouTube channel where I host vinyl thursday as well as vinyl thursday's sister show music the lifebloods conversations from the pit co-hosted by yours truly and music the lifebloods own third man in the field mr john carter all right now that's out of the way let's get down to business and check out music the lifebloods conversation with mr bobby Steele. On the phone, I am joined with Bobby Still of the Undead, uh, formerly of the Misfits for a little while in the late 70s, early 80s. Bobby, thanks for being on the show, man. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah, really appreciate that. Uh, so, Bobby, I talked to, I talked to CJ Ramon a little while back, and, uh, CJ and I got to talking about, uh, punk rock kind of being at the middle age at this point. Yeah. And you're a, obviously, you're a veteran of the scene, uh, especially the, the East Coast, New York, New Jersey scene. And you're going on 60 years old at this point. You're, uh, you're in your late fifties now. So just curious in the, in that regard, what, uh, what does punk rock feel like at this point in your life? How do you, how do you see things? Well, I guess for one thing, it, it, uh, it keeps us young. You can't, you can't get old and, and, you know, do this kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I always, I always like to look at, like, you know, rock and roll and punk rock especially as being like the perfect aerobic exercise that keeps your blood pumping, gets oxygen going through your body and oh, nice. really helps to keep you young, yeah. Okay. There's kind of an, an air of mystery around Bobby Steele. You know what I mean? Uh, you, you come from this awesome pedigree as far as horror punk, but when we look at the undead, uh, your, your content, your songwriting, your lyric style on the undead, there's a little bit of that kind of horror punk stuff, but there's also some tongue in cheek moments. And there's also right. some, there's also some, you know, really gnarly serious stuff. As a, as a songwriter, what's, uh, where are you coming from? Do you, do you ever set out to do one kind of thing or is you just kind of play it as it goes? I just kind of play it as it goes, you know, whatever, you know, you know, I, I never like sat down and, and determined, you know, that the undead was going to be any specific type of like, you know, genre except for punk rock and, uh, so it's, you know, whatever strikes me, I write about, you know, so, you know, I've, I've written, you know, like you said, you know, there's, there's horror songs, there's love songs, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, so, you know, social, you know, commentary songs, you know, I just, whatever comes to me, I just write about it. I want to talk about Never Say Die. 
and the circumstances surrounding it when you wrote that album, is that, lyrically, is that something that's still apt today? Do you still feel hungry? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you know Never Say Die was, you know, was written at a, um, a time when the band was taking some difficulties, and, uh, you know, it was just kind of, uh, I wrote that, and I had to, like, live up to it, you know? In uh, 1982, uh, you were sick. So I want to talk. I want to yeah. talk about that time surrounding Never Say Die. You were really sick in 1982. You got down to like somewhere around like 117, 118 pounds, right? Right. Yeah. So what what was going on? Because I think I think it's a cool kind of uh, punk rock. Uh, it's almost kind of like an urban legend at this point. Yeah, it was. You know, it was essentially I had like um, I had an, an infection in my bones that started off in the toe and started like spreading through my foot. And, uh, there was a point where, you know, they really thought I was going to, like, you know, lose my leg. And so there, there was, like, a, there was a real battle going on with that, you know, and it was kind of like thinking about, like, that song that, that really helped me, you know, helped me get through because I realized, like, you know, I can't, you know, I can't give up. I can't, like, let this, you know, this take over me because, you know, oddly enough, you know, I was thinking, like, you know, this would, you know, this would be bad for my image. So that's what, like, really kind of, like, <laughs> you know, push, pushed me through, through that, that period. Nice. Lyrically, does that stuff mean something different now at 59 as opposed to, you know, 22, 23, 24 years old? I don't think so. I, I think it's still got, you know, the, the same meaning, you know, as, as it always did. You know, it's, it's, you know, you know, when things seem to be like, you know, at worst, that's when you really just got to, like, just give that extra, that extra oomph and, you know, push through and, you know, keep going. Do it yourself, right? Right, yeah. So the, the, D, the DIY mentality. Um, obviously right. you, you've been, you've been flying that flag for pretty much your whole career. Pretty much, yeah. When people, you know, debate and, and ponder and think about all things punk rock, the term DIY comes up a lot. Yeah. What's it mean to you? You know, is, is it an integrity thing or is it just an out of necessity thing? It's, it's, it's out of necessity. It's like, you know, like, you know, to me, DIY is, you know, it's more out of necessity. I mean, if somebody came to me, you know, like, I mean, from a major record company and said, you know, we want to sign you, we want to do, you know, we want to give you full freedom to do what you want to do, I wouldn't, like, turn it down. But at the same at the same time, if they came to me and said, you know, we want to sign you, but we want you to do dance music, <laughs> I wouldn't do it. You know, I'd rather just, I would just rather do it myself, you know, and, and do what's going to keep, you know, keep the integrity of, of the music, you know, rather than, you know, sell out. I want to I touch base on that. I uh, I saw one of your uh, one of a copy of your CDs in a Starbucks. Um, this has been a it's been a you know it's been a while ago. Um, I would say somewhere around two thousand seven. The solo CD. Mm hmm. Yep. It, it was just uh just something I decided I, you know I wanted to like you know to try doing it. You know it was just you know just just kind of like going off in a different direction. You know just wanted to be able to like do something with myself. You know it was like that was something where I, I was going to have practice. I was the only musician, so like when practice was scheduled, the whole the whole act was going to be there. We're you know trying to get like band practices, so always somebody's schedule is in the way or something, you know. And this way, I was able to just kind of go out, you know, and you know play some of the smaller places and you know make some extra money and just have a good time. And you know people really enjoyed it. Is it as you know? Is it is it as fulfilling? As, you know, say doing something with, you know, a band like the Undead, you know, where it's considerably less aggro, obviously, but, uh, yeah. Do you, do you still get as much out of it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. To me, it's, you know, it's, you know, I, I love, I love playing music, you know, and I love, you know, playing for people. So, you know, whether, whether it was a solo thing or it was the Undead thing, you know, it was, it was equally as much fun. I guess, you know, the Undead is more fun to do because, you know, there's, 
there's more energy and excitement with that. Sure. Speaking of energy and excitement, you know, you've, you've never been of, of all the times I've, you know, watched, watched you kind of on stage and you perform and, you know, things like that, whether it's on YouTube or, you know, any avenue like that. You've never been a guy that's been all over the place on the stage. Um, no. and I've heard you attribute it to, um, obviously you, you walk, uh, you have a little bit of a physical impairment with, uh, one of yeah, your legs, yeah. right? Yeah, well, that, between that and, you know, being, you know, especially the main singer, so being tied to a microphone, you don't get, right. get to really move around too much. So is, is the, is the urban legend true that, um, the steel, uh, the steel part of your name came from, uh, a leg brace that you had worn? Yeah. Yeah? That, that was it, yeah. It was, it was, uh, Back, I, I guess just after high school, I was, you know, I was joking with a friend of mine, and you know, I was trying to come up with like some kind of a stage name because I was just like really annoyed with people mispronouncing my real name, and uh, it just, it just hit me that like you know I'm wearing a steel brace, so uh, it just worked and it stuck. Nice. Fr- from a performer's standpoint, do you ever, in that regard, um, you know, whether it's someone dealing with you know some sort of you know physical impairment or you know it could be some sort of you know, difficulty learning, whatever the case is. Do you ever find that it, does it ever get in the way? Or or do you just, you know what, I'm going to work around it, I'm good to go? Yeah, no, it, it's, you know, it never really gets in the way for me. You know, it, it's, you know, it's odd, but like usually like, you know, it's other people that don't have any kind of physical problems that seem to have like, the, the, the you know, more of an impediment with uh, doing things, you know, sure. like, you know, nothing up to carry equipment or something like that. And I'm always like, hey, you know, I mean, I used to love carrying, you know, carrying my own equipment. It just got me all revved up for the, you know, for the show. Nice. I've never, I've never heard one musician ever say that, uh, carrying equipment f- fires you up. Yeah. It's, it's that D, it's that DIY thing, right? Well, not really, no. I mean, it started out of necessity, but, you know, I realized that, like, you know, when I, you know, carrying and setting up the equipment before the show, you know, it gets, gets the blood pumping. So you're, you're warmed up, you know, when you just walk in and you plug in, your body's still stiff. That's a good, it's a good point. That's like, a, it's like doing your stretches before your workout. Yeah. That touches base on a, that kind of blue collar mentality to, right. um, to punk rock or just independent music in general. Do you, do you ever, were, was there ever a point in your career where you said, man, I, I, I just want, I'm comfortable at the level I'm at or I want to go further or I want to be at this level? You know, for fear of kind of losing touch with that kind of work, you know, the working man kind of musician sort of thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I've been comfortable wherever I've been at, but I've always, you know, wanted to like, you know, go further with it, you know, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll take it, I'll take it as far as, you know, as it'll go. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's why, you know, that's my attitude about it. You know, I'm never going to just like be content with something, you know, but, you know, at the same time, I'm not going to be like unhappy with where I'm at. You know, that's, that's, you know, something not that I, See, it seems to bother like a lot of musicians are at a certain point and they're not where they would really love to be and they get discouraged and they give up and it's like you know if you're doing with if as long as you're enjoying what you're doing you know keep doing it is it hard you know to keep going you know sometimes it's i mean obviously it, why um I really can't explain like what why sometimes it gets hard but you know there's always you know there's always you know a fan or somebody will say something that's just like you like you know where you're at and what you've, what you've done that just says, you know, that just gives you that bit of encouragement. When was, uh, when was the last time that happened? Not too long ago. Um, I actually, um, just, just recently, just recently heard from somebody, I think it was on Facebook that, uh, just, just, uh, reminded me about like years ago I had played in this town and him and his friend had helped me like carry some equipment into the club and, you know, 
you know, had been really nice to him and he really appreciated it and stuff like that. And it's just, just like sometimes things like that can just make such a difference, you know, in, in the musician's attitude, you know. What burns, what burns people out at the level that you're at? What, uh, what causes someone to lose kind of the, the fire in their belly, so to speak? I don't really know. I really, I really couldn't put a, put a finger on like what does that to some people. I think, you know, these things can like, you know, just like make a person just like chill and want to like stop. But you've never. You know, it's it's usually been you know like just like a dress girl you know trying to come up with new songs or new mm-hmm. ideas or something like that. But you know, over time you know something comes along and inspires you. Like you know like you know my wife Diana has been like a big inspiration like lately new songs and you know get out there and play. And, sure. You know she's she's you know I don't know if you've heard but she's like the, the keyboard player in the band now. So uh, yep. The band is like really expanded and uh, you know it's it's become it's become like really like fun and new again. Let's talk about married life then, because that's that's good. That's good segue. segue. Um, yeah. You know, just kind of, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I've looked at your personal Facebook. You know what I mean? And you can you can run a Google search, and you know, you can see wedding photos and things like that. A a punk rocker at fifty nine, you know, almost sixty years of age. To me, that tells me there's a little bit of factor of kind of youth involved. There is, yeah. I mean, you know, Diana is really like, you know, really brought like a, a new attitude of life to me, you know, she, you know, she, she came along with, you know, two, two grown children and stuff that we, you know, we get along great and, you know, they, they've been like, you know, great, you know, just like for the first time having a family is, is been just like complete like rush to me, you know, it's like such a new experience and it's just like, it's been so much fun, you know. Why is it, why is it a new experience for you? Have you just kind of, have you stayed the lone wolf sort of thing your entire life? Pretty much, yeah, you know, pretty much, you know, I've, you know, been like pretty much like, like you said, the lone wolf is, is a good way to put it, you know, to finally like really have like that family is, you know, something I never, I never imagined I would have. In a band setting, you know, members of bands come and go, obviously, you know, over time, it's, it's hard for bands to stay one group of people its entire lifespan, just, it's inherent, yeah. it's inherently difficult. When when it comes to the undead, or you know, just transitioning from you know the misfits to undead, you know, is it was it a letdown? You know, at any point, did you ever feel like, man, I just wish I could I could stick with this you know specific group of people, or has the kind of ever changing dynamic? You know, is it is it positive in one way, negative in in another? How do how do you see it? It used to be, you know, like you know, there, there was a time when like you know. When like if you know somebody like left the band, I would be be kind of bummed, you know. But it got to the point where I just like realized like every time there's been a change, it's always it's always gotten better. It's always been an improvement in the long run. So you know, I really I, I haven't worried about that. And right now, the people I'm working with are the people I've ever worked with, and that's it's really it's really fun, you know. No drama. No drama. No drama. That's, that's one of the great things, you know. This is a lineup that like has brought no drama, you know, into the thing. Everybody's like very supportive of each other. And, you know, we, 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 even like in the band, we feel like a family. That's awesome. That's rare. Yeah. yeah. Why, why, why is that, do you think? Um, you know, we, you know, we do a lot of interviews for this show and we, yeah. we talk, we talk to a lot of different musicians and there's a common thread of just people not getting along. Why, yeah. Why do you think that's the case? Um, I think sometimes they're just like not in it for the right reason. You know, some people like, you know, like in, you know, past cases of the undead, you know, some people came into it with, like, big ideas about, like, what it was going to be. And, you know, once they see the reality of it, they're discouraged, you know. And, uh, 
it just you know it, it takes a lot of growing up you know but, you know musicians you know can be kind of like fickle people at times and you know they, they sometimes they get into something and they really don't know what you know what they want or who they are mm. you know there's insecurities that come into play and uh right now the people we got right now are, you know confident people you know and uh we just we get along great is it uh do you ever run into husband wife spats when it comes to uh a songwriting you know i want it this way you want it that way do you, is that is that ever an issue at this point no it's not no it's smooth it's smooth no. sailing in that like perfect wedded wedded bliss right yeah yeah that's a that's such a rare thing that's a, that is such a rare thing even if it's a couple in a band i think it's so rare yeah, well, I, you know, I've been like really, you know, really lucky. You know, Diana is, you know, she's awesome. And, uh, so, you know, working with her is, has been great. You know, she's got, you know, she's got some good input on stuff, you know, working on ideas for this new album. You know, it's like, you know, you know, even our daughter has thrown in some ideas, you know, as far as like packaging ideas and artwork and things. And it's, you know, it's great not, not, you know, not having to like think of everything myself all the time anymore. You know, having other people that, you know, that have the, you know, the same ideas, you know, similar, you know, that have the same mindset. So we can, like, you know, toss out an idea and all of a sudden everybody's like, well, how about, you know, if we try, like, do, you know, put this in there and do this and make this, you know, and it's like, you know, it snowballs, so it's great. How'd you guys meet? Oh, we met at church. Oh, nice. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. We actually, we actually, um, we we met at a weekly Bible study group. Okay, so were you guys, you, you know, when you look at a picture of Bobby Steele, Bobby Steele does not look like everyone else walking down the street, obviously. So I I picture, you know, and I've seen pictures of your wife, you know, she's got kind of, you know, kind of like a Betty Page Bob haircut, you know, jet black hair, you know, that sort of thing. Same kind of motif that Bobby Steele would have. You know, were you guys the awkward black sheep sitting in the pews together and just were, it's kismet, you guys are drawn together? Well, actually, our church is like a very like unusual church because you know, as different as we might look, like nobody gives us a you know, nobody makes a double take when we when we walk into the church. You know, you know, we've had other people. I mean, Steve then goes to the same church. You know, and you know, so that there were church like that, like back in like the late sixties, early seventies, was like one of the original Jesus Freak churches. You know, with hippies and you know all that kind of thing going on. So they're they're used to like having like you know different kinds of people come in there. So like you know. They don't, you know, they don't like treat us any differently than than they would treat anybody else. Man, that's rare too. It's 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 a great church, you know. We, you know, we, we've got like you. Know, in fact, uh, in about we'll be a Derringer playing playing a concert at our church. Oh, nice! Right on. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. It's a rock. It's it's like literally, it's a rock and roll church. I mean, we've had like you know, we've had members of all the Jimmy Hendrix Experience play there. Vanilla Fudges played there. Um, uh, I'm trying to think who else who else we've had in there, but. It's a church that, like, it's always been, like, rooted around rock and roll music, and it's great. I mean, you know, one of the members of our church that just passed away, like, a year or so ago was um, a great guitar player who played with Paul McCartney and Wings, recorded with John Lennon, has, like, you know, recorded on, like, a lot of, like, hit records in the 60s. So this is a church that, like, has just been always, like, built, like, around, like, this rock and roll, you know, fun attitude. Our pastor is, like... Uh, unlike any other pastor, I mean, he he was like this like obnoxious hippie when he was young, and the actually he actually he got started in the church. He would be he and his friends would be doing LSD and would like break into the church in the middle of the night, and one of them would just stare at the stained glass, and another one would be playing the piano, and you know, 
You know, <laughs> now he's the church's pastor. You know, so, I mean, that's the kind of church it is. It's like it's a really great place, you know, and it's you know anybody can go in there and feel and feel at home. I want to go down that go down that path a little bit. You you've obviously kind of uh, you you look at the world differently than what I would say uh, the atypical kind of punk rocker would. Even during the eighties, you know, you know what I mean. As as I dug back farther, you know, in Bobby Still's history and things like that. You go pretty far back, you know, even during the um, Reagan is a fascist 80s, you know, kind yeah. of kind of way of the Reagan youth, you know, kind of way of looking at punk rock and things like that. You kind of swam upstream against that sort of yeah. stuff. Um, and it pops yeah. up. It pops up in the undead. You know, lyrically, yeah. sometimes uh, we don't want the porn in New York City, you know, would be a good good example of a lyric. Right. Um, I mean, what's that like? You know what I mean? We mentioned like black sheep, you know, you and your wife meaning, but that man, that puts you as a black sheep amongst the rest of the punk rock community to a certain degree. To a degree it does, you know, and, you know, I don't mind, you know, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather be like, you know, honest about myself and honest with myself than just try to do something that's just, you know, trying to please people. Like, you know, like I said back in those days, I said, you know, if I, if I went, if I went that way, I would, I would be selling out. Hmm. You know, so I was just like, you know, I just did what I wanted to do and I just thought the way I wanted to think and, you know, people would throw these things at me and I was just like, you know, I would say, well, I don't see it that way, you know, and it hurt, it hurt the band's career, you know, we could have, you know, we, we could have gone, you know, the anti-Reagan way, like you were saying back in those days and, you know, prob- probably gotten like a record, you know, a better record deal and, you know, had, had more financial success, but, uh, where are most of those bands today anyway? Has there been backlash? You know, was it was there ever a point when you were standing in, you know, Max's Kansas City or CBGB or some venue somewhere and somebody came up and said, listen, Bobby Steele, you so-and-so, something, something or other. You know, have you ever run into those instances? Actually, I, I haven't. No. No. Would no. you would you say it's been, would you, would it, is, has it been smooth sailing in that regard? Well, I wouldn't say it's been smooth sailing. Like I said, you know, like, you know, there was like a lot of like, you know, People that wouldn't do business with us because you know because I, I thought differently from them. But aside from that, you know, it's like I've actually had people come up to me and like say that they're glad to, to see, you know see somebody that has a different you know opinion about things that you know that thinks more like the way that they think about things and see things their way. Sure. And the people who like don't like the way I think and don't like the way I like look at the world. Right. So is that something that goes back? You know, I know that your 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 father passed away not too long ago. Um, yeah. you know, is that, is that a family? Is that a thread that runs through the family or is it just, you know, this, I came to this on my own accord. This is how I look at the, look at the world. Um, I wouldn't say it was something that as much ran through the family as much as that my father always, you know, would just like tell me, you know, like, you know, just think for yourself and, you know, don't, don't, don't just like go with the crash. And my father, he'd love to say, you know, if everybody else jumped off the George Washington Bridge, are you going to jump off the bridge too? You know, and that was that, that was where he always like raised me. It was just to you know be my own person. How about mom? I talked to Pete, Damian, Marshall, um, the guy that played yeah. guitar in Sam Hain for a little while, not too long ago. And Pete had, you know, Pete seemed to be really kind of in touch with that kind of like where I come from, that area of the country. It's a cool place to grow up. It was a great yeah. you know childhood, that sort of thing. Again, it's kind of atypical for you know just kind of the punk rock movement because it's rooted in dissent and aggression and things like that from like a family environment you is it ever something that you feel like i'm going against the grain or is it just again i the life happens the way that it happens there, there was i mean there, there was times when you know there was the clashes between me and my family but you know in the end they always like you know like realized i was just you know 
I was doing what I, what I was going to do, and I was, like, not harming myself or anybody, and they, you know, they would eventually see, like, a positive outcome from it. So, you know, in the end, you know, in the beginning, my parents didn't want me to be in the decision. They, you know, they saw that, you know, that's a hard business. That's, like, you know, something, you know, that, you know, is going to be, like, you know, bit, you know, discouraging, and, you know, so they really, they didn't encourage it, but then when they, they saw, like, you know, how, how much I enjoyed doing it, and they saw, like, how much people enjoyed seeing me do it, mm. that they, they, they started getting behind it. Their attitude wasn't they were, you know, against me. They were just, I mean, they, they thought they were, you know, trying to do the right thing for me. When they saw that, like, you know, I was adamant about doing what I was going to do, and they saw that, like, I actually made something good of it, then they would say, okay, great, you know, and then they would become very supportive. We have family, you know, whether we have young ones or little ones in the family. Do you ever yeah. find yourself, I just want their life to be better than what mine was? You know, because I think that's oh, yeah. kind of the common thread from parent to child. I want you to have things better than what I did. Yeah, well, I've only been a father for less than a year so far. But, yeah, that's, you know, that's one of the things, you know. I want to see our kids, you know, have, have a better life than we than we do. And, you know, you know, I try to, you know, I want to see them, like, you know, excel at what, you know, whatever their dream is, you know. You know, I want to see them excel at it. Do you ever see yourself saying, okay, you know, uh, in, in 1983, I learned a hard lesson with so with you know so and so doing this. Uh, do you do you think you're are you going to be the kind of parent that uh, you know where you you micromanage in a way, or is it important to just kind of let them let them let them learn their own way? It depends, I guess. I guess if if they if they were to come and ask me about things, you know, and ask you know, I would I would try to give them the best you know honest feedback on things. But um, you know, Diana did a great job raising these kids, and right. you know they're you know. They're really like, you know, they're not stupid. They're not, you know, they're not like I was when I was their age, you know, and, you know, they've got it together. You know, Diana, you know, was was obviously an excellent mother because, you know, her kids, you know, I mean, usually kids that, you know, at some point in their lives, they kind of like, you know, they rebel against their parents and she's never had that experience with her kids. They've right. always been like, because she's been a really, you know, a really great supportive mother and, uh, it's really been a lot of fun. So, is there is there any kind of uh, is it taboo, you know, to have a uh, dad or stepdad or <laughs> my dad's this crazy punk rock guy who's played in you know the Misfits, the Undead, you know, he's got this reputation. You ever find yourself having to explain anything to them? So far, no. So, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so far, no. It's got to be an interesting position to be in. I I think when it, once someone reaches kind of like that icon status within like a music movement. It's almost yeah. like there you become you become an idea more moreover you know a person you know what I mean. What happens? People are like kind of like they forget that you're just a human being that bleeds. You know, right. they forget about right. that. You know, and it's you know it's it's easy for that to happen to, to people. It's like you know like you know, I've, I've known musicians that you know that their gripe is that like people throw things at them on stage as if like they're not human beings. You know, you know that was you know one time you know Axl Rose was was telling me about you know. The thing he hates is he'll be up on stage and people are throwing stuff at him and like it's like don't they know that it hurts? You know, I remember even worse was like back I think it was like in the late seventies, people started throwing like like fireworks at the musicians on stage. Hmm. You know, and it's like that, that's ridiculous. Because well, it seems like to me the common thread in rock and roll over a long time has been a healthy disrespect for authority. Yeah. Does that? I mean, is that is that a manifestation of that, or is it just something else altogether? I think that's something else altogether, really, because, you know, you know, there's, there's one thing about, like, you know, like, having a healthy disrespect for, for authority. In other words, if the authority is wrong, you're not going to follow it, you mm -hmm. know, but, you know, you know, but, uh, just, uh, 
just to want to hurt people, you know, is there's there's you know there's no cause for that kind of thing. You're part of this kind of you're a player in the the legendary kind of mythos of uh, all things misfits. Yeah. How how do you see your place in that in that timeline in that history? You know how do, how do you look at it at this point? Um, you know, I really I don't look at it too much anymore. Mm. You know, I'm too I'm too much like wrapped up in trying to think about like the future of the, of the undead mm-hmm. than to like really like think about the past of the misfits. You know, it was something you know it was something that I did. I mean, like you know, I just thought about it earlier. That that was like what like thirty some years ago. Mm-hmm. And you know, so like you know, that's like that's what, I mean. A lot of a lot of our fans are, weren't even alive back then, so it's kind of like for me, it's like it's it's really like you know, history. I mean, it was you know, it's great to have been part of that, but you know, there's you know, I'm more, more concerned with like looking at the future of things. Now. Mm-hmm. Do you ever find yourself, from a long term standpoint, do you ever say, do you ever wish people just kind of forget about it, and move on from it, or is it something? Do you do you do you embrace it? Do you actively embrace it? You may not think about it every day, but. You know, are you okay being recognized? Like, holy, oh, yeah, you know, no, holy I'm, cow, I'm okay. that's Bobby Steele. Yeah, I'm okay being recognized, you know, about it and stuff. But, you know, it's like, again, like, it was like two years of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, you know, there, there's, you know, there's so much more there. And, you know, that's what I try to, like, focus on is, is you know, that's why I'm, I'm glad this interview is more about the undead and, and stuff, you know, than sure. this, because, you know, sometimes it can, it can get annoying when people are still asking, like, the same questions, you know, right. from, like, you know, 40 years ago, you know, they want to know, like, you know, something that happened, like, 40 years ago. It's like, hey, you know, it happened, you know? <laughs> not not a big deal, right? Yeah. If you could sit, you know, 25-year-old Bobby Steele down and say, yeah. listen, bud, this is what you need to know about what you're going to be doing for the next 30 years, what what, what would you say? Well, I never even thought about that one. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably, you know, I, w- I would say, you know, like, uh, think, you know, use, you know, use your head and, uh, you know, av- you know, avoid certain pitfalls that you, that you gave, you know, that you gave into at mm-hmm. certain times in your life and, uh, go to church. We go back to the, we go back to the faith. Yeah. Why? Uh, because, uh, you know, if you put your, if you really put your trust in God, a lot of good things can happen for you, you know, and, you know, when you start just thinking you can do things on your own, you know, You'll be doing things, but it's not going to be. They're not going to pay off as well. They're not going to be as rewarding in the long run, you know. And uh, you know, when when you realize that you know God has control over everything, and you know, you know He can make you know He's got this. He'll give you what you want, but be careful what you ask for, because He might have something better for you. And, and you're like so like adamant about I want this, I want this, I want this, and He's trying to get you to wait because down the road there's going to be something you know far better. You know, you could wind up missing like you know. Great things. So, what do you think? What do you think? Twenty-five-year-old Bobby would say back to you. You know, do you think would there be pushback? Um, no, I, th- I think uh, I, th- I think he would. He was like, you know, listen, you know, at least. You know, let's say let's say Diane comes to you and says, "I have this. I have this idea. I want to write. Uh, I want us to do this big sweeping punk rock opus. You know, conceptual kind of thing." You know, right. do you feel like you at the at the core of Bobby Steele, are you someone that is open to man? That that's a huge idea. You know, do you th- do you think you could crack that nut <laughs> and swallow it at the same time? Oh yeah, no man. You know, I mean, you know, if she comes up with any kind of ideas, you know, I want to hear it. You know, just like anybody else. You know, I'm not. You know, I don't have like such an ego that, that I think that I'm the only one that can like like good music. You know, I mean, you know, I like 
appreciate when other people in the band like can contribute something. Do you th is it missing from young bands now? You know, because punk punk rock's a very different thing now than it was, you know, 40 years ago in 1974 in New York. You know, do do young bands do, do you think they're capable of being open to that kind of? You know, I don't I don't know if you would call it an epiphany or anything like that, but but do you overall do you see young bands being able to listen to to good advice or is it just kind of you know you make mistakes in your youth? It is what it is. That I don't know. I mean, you know, some of the bands that I hear today, you know, it it, it almost sounds as if they do. You know, hmm. you know, I mean, I've heard some like really good you know original bands, and uh, you know, I mean, you know, one I, I name right off the top of my head is um, Seeking the Seeker. They're, they're just some local guys. And, uh, the first time I heard them, I thought they were just like covering songs from like a, a Tim Burton soundtrack. Oh, nice. Right on. Okay. And the, the stuff is like, I mean, we're doing a gig with them in, what, two weeks, I think. And, uh, it's, it's like, I mean, you want to talk about something that's really, really like, to me, it's, it's more punk rock than most of the punk rock that's out there today because it's not generic. It's more of like something that, that you would have seen like at CBGB's, mm -hmm. you know, back in like, the mid seventies when punk rock was like really like new and fresh and original and you had like everything from the Ramones to the Talking Heads to Patti Smith, you know, there was no you know, there was nothing generic about it, you know, and that's that's what I see with these guys. Right. Were you a Ramones fan when you were young? Or oh, yeah. are are you a Ramones fan now? Um, I guess I still am, yeah. I mean I haven't like really like listened to, you know, any like anything really like in the lately. You know, I've just been like working on other stuff so I, I don't get a chance to like really listen to as much as I used to, but you know, mm -hmm. I'll always love the Ramones. What's uh, what was the last show you went to? The last show that I went to of the Ramones? Uh, no, or just anybody? just uh, just a show in general. Um, other than the ones that we played at, um, let's see. Um, actually, it was I guess about a month ago, right? That we went to see a band called Owen and the Immaculates, and uh, yeah, they, they were they were playing at a, a local place, and uh, this guy Owen is like a keyboard phenomenon. Doing what are we talking like new wave kind of stuff or is it you know what what was uh, yeah it? I would I would say like it's it's kind of like the guy's like a, like like probably the best people I've ever seen for one thing hmm. and he's a great entertainer and um, if you took like all the all the, the great keyboard players from Keith Emerson to Elton John to uh, Billy Joel and put them all together this guy's like more than that and he's like I think like sixteen or seventeen years old and uh, it's kind of like even though it's somewhat uh, somewhat jazz influenced, mm -hmm. it's like it, there's more to it. It's, it's exciting. It's fun. It's like it's a three piece band. It's just keyboard, bass, and drums. And uh, the energy and the excitement that comes out of it is like you know again, it's it, it's more reminiscent to me of like what like the early CBGB scene. Oh sure, you know, okay. Like you know nowadays it seems like every punk band is either trying to be the Ramones or the Misfits or the Stooges. You know, we're back then. Every band was just trying to come up with their own ideas. Mm -hmm. The landscape of how music is discovered by people is very different, um, but there's still a lot of common threads. I think you know, you have websites like uh, SoundCloud or Bandcamp or ReverbNation.com, to where I think there's more content at your fingertips and yeah, there is. less. I think there's less one-on-one -on -one interaction. I think I think young people tend to they would stay at home and search on their, their phone or their computer for a band as opposed to paying five bucks to go see, you know, a couple bands play, you know, on a Saturday yeah, I night. Yeah, I guess that, that's, I guess that's one of the, you know, one of the, you know, blessings and curses of, like, uh, that is, you know, it, it gives more bands the opportunity to get exposed 
but at the same time, a lot it keeps a lot of people just sitting at home instead of going out and like actually like meeting people. Right. Do you ever say to yourself, you know, man, I wish. I wish that we could erode that wave, you know, of the early 2000s, you know, when the internet broke or, or you kind of, are you happy with your place where you set in history of, you know, how music scenes, how they come and go and the ebb and flow, so to speak? Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy with like, you know, you know, when we came out, you know, and everything, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be starting fresh, like, you know, in the 2000s. It would be, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, from what I see, there's like, you know, there's so many different like places where you, where you need to be putting your music up, to, you know, to be heard and things like that. That, mm-hmm. you know, it really becomes like, I mean, even like right now, we're, we're trying to like, you know, you know, do things with Bandcamp and Reverb Nation and there's just so much out there. It's like really like, you know, insane trying to figure it all out. Do you, do you find yourself reluctant to embrace it or? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why do you think? Why? Well, just because, you know, I don't understand a lot of it, you know, like, you know, fortunately, you know, we've, we've got people in the band who, are, you know, are more like, you know, web, you know, web savvy and stuff like that. And you sure. know, these, you know, what exists out there. Because I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of in the dark ages with this stuff. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I come, I come from the days when you, when you would like, you know, mail your CD or your record to a radio station, you know, and call them up and like, you know, try to pitch it to them to get them interested in playing it, you know. And, right. And now it's, it's very different. Right. Is there something to be said about that one-on-one interaction, though? Like ho- literally holding a band's piece of merch in your hand. Do you still feel like that's the way to go? I think so. I think, you know, it's, I think it's more fun, you know, rather than just like, you know, clicking on something and like listening to music. It's, you know, it's fun when you've got like, you know, like, you know, like we, we've done like record sleeves where, you know, like um, I made Monster with like a Mad Magazine folded cover. So, you know, you know, you know. It, I think it's, it's great to have packaging that you can kind of play around with a bit also. You know, sure. you've got like lyric sheets and you, you, you know, so, you know, that, that's, that's the direction we're trying to go is to, you know, make the packaging of this stuff interesting enough that people, you know, don't just want to like download, they want to actually go out and, and buy the, buy the CD or the record and, you know, have like this fun package. Right. How, how do you feel about file sharing? You know, where, where do you sit with it? Um, I don't, I don't like it because, you know, I mean, it's really taking a lot of money out of, you know, struggling musicians' pockets. You know, there's no file sh- I mean, like, you know, like when we released I Made a Monster, mm-hmm. I was at the time, like, discovered, like, this one file-sharing website. It's really not file-sharing. It's, it's, it's stealing, right. you know? And he, like, checked out this one file-sharing website, and in one day, 20,000 copies were, were shared on that, on that, on that, that website. Whereas if people had bought that, it would have actually put money into, into struggling musicians' pockets. Right. You know, you know, and I hear people saying, oh, you know, we're, you know, we're sticking it to the big man. They're not sticking it to the big man. You know, and a lot of these filing where, you know, file sharing websites, they're, they're making money because they're, they're, they're getting paid by advertisers for every time somebody hits their page. Mm-hmm. And they're making money, you know, doing nothing. All the people that have, like, worked hard to, like, make the music are, you know, are working at, like, you know, some, like, nine, nine to five jobs struggling to, you know, to keep afloat and to make music, you know, and you know, it, it could get to a point where you know, good musicians just can't make music anymore because they have to do something else. Right? How's that affected your own catalog? I I, guess I, I, I can't count how many times I've seen a live Slayer bootleg. You know, the I think you guys when did that come out? Ninety one, ninety two, somewhere around there. Ninety two, yeah. Ninety two. Okay, the live record. I remember seeing bootlegs in record stores as far back as like when I was going to shows and. 1996, 97, when I was in high school. And, uh, 
you know, do you feel like do you feel like it's affected the dividends on your end of things? Have you been? Oh yeah, yeah. How so? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, because you know, if if the stuff wasn't being bootlegged, I would have had more money to like do more stuff and even to be able to like tour more, you know, more consistently. If if I had like a better income with with the records, you know, so like you know all those all those things people don't realize like how much it it holds their favorite bands. Hmm. Have you? I'm sure you've signed autographs in your life, you know, yeah. and and you hear a lot of uh, horror stories about musicians getting a bootleg and you know, uh, you know, tearing up a boot, tearing up a bootleg in front of a fan or telling them, yeah. you know, to get lost. What do you do when you encounter that? How do you react? I just, you know, I just, I just say, listen, you know, I, I can't sign this. You know, it's a bootleg. You know, I'm not, I, I, I don't like to sign those for people. Okay. You know, but you know, at least like, I mean, if it's like a live bootleg. It's one thing because it's obviously a bootleg, but when it's like a counterfeit, you know, like there was like, you know, at one point there was some like very good counterfeit copies of like Bullet and Heart Business and right. stuff like that coming mm-hmm. out, you know, then I won't sign those, you know, because cause then I'm, I'm validating that's legit and somebody can then take that and put it up online and sell and, and sell it for the, like, you know, what a horror business or, a, you know, Bullet is worth, you know, real copies. Right, right. Have you ever have have you ever looked up your own catalog? You know, have you ever hopped on eBay just to see? I you know, I wonder what Till Death or 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 Actor Age is going for right now. Have you ever looked it up? Every once in a while, we'll, we'll like we'll go on there and take a look and see like right. what some of the stuff is going for. And you know, it's uh, you know, I gotta say, you know, it's it's kind of uh, amazing to to see you know what, what people are willing to like pay for some of this stuff. Right. How does it make you feel? You know, how do, how do you react internally? Um, I mean, I, I get, you know, it, it helps to, you know, tell me that, like, you know, that there's still something valid about, about my music. Mm. You know, it still tells, you know, it still shows me that, you know, that there's an interest and there's a, there's a demand for it, you know, and, uh, you know, there's been times when, it, when it's encouraged me to, like, actually, like, re-release, you know, like, there was a point where, like, I saw people were selling, like, bootleg copies of, of, uh, Dawn of the Undead, you know, and getting, like, $75 for it. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And so, like, that, you know, that, that, Got me to like just say, well, look, I've got to like reissue this thing and you know make it available for fifteen dollars. So, you know, people aren't getting ripped off with you know with bootleg copies for seventy-five. <laughs> have you ever been put face to face with a bootlegger? Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, oh get, yeah, I have. Yeah. How did how did it go down? <laughs> um, I you know I I had fun scaring them. You know, because you know basically <laughs> what I would do is I would just I would just like you know recite to them what the copyright law is. You know, and right. you know with the, the copyright law is you know. Anytime you'd like do use any kind of a copyright, okay, and you gotta realize there's two when you when you bootleg a song, okay, there's two copyrights per song. There's a copyright on the recording and there's a copyright on the composition of the song. Right. Okay? And you can sue for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per violation. So like when when people were like bootlegging Dawn of the Undead, I would like show them, like, you know, do you realize I can sue you for two hundred and fifty thousand times two per song? Okay, half a million dollars per song for 22 songs. I can sue you for 11 million dollars for each copy of this that you sell. And when they hear that, they just like, they immediately just like back down. <laughs> because it, to me, obviously it's not Bobby Steele the bully in that situation. That's more Bobby the Steele no. looking out, looking out for my own back, you know, kind of situation. My, my own back, but also like, also like looking out for my fans. They, you know, cause like when they're doing like, you know, counterfeiting and stuff like that. They don't know what kind of quality they're going to get, you know, if the person just, like, you know, took a vinyl record 
and just like, you know, scratch your record and just like record it onto a CD. You know, they don't, you know, sometimes they don't even know that what they're getting is not the real thing. Right. You know, you kind of fall within a, within a community of bands, um, obviously, because you're, you know, you're indirectly connected to a lot of other bands, whether it's, you know, stuff like the Misfits or Sam Hain or Michael Graves or Doyle. You know what I mean? You're, you're all kind of interconnected to each other. Um, yeah. When you're dealing with that community of fans, do you, do you ever say, listen, I know that you paid a lot of money for this, but you don't have to. Do you, do you ever try to advocate on the side of, you know, the buyer, the fan, to try to give them the best advice you can as far as, like, collecting goes? Um, no, because, uh, you know, that that's, you know, I have no control of, of, over that, that kind of a market. You know, the collector's market is, is, is a totally different thing. It's like, you know, I mean, if somebody's, the way I always looked at it was, like, if somebody supported the band in the beginning and bought a bullet or a hard business or a night of the living dead for $2, and now they can get, I don't know what, what they're going for now, 300 to 500 dollars. Okay. Ri- it's ridiculous. It's like, yeah. it's like, that, that, that's their payback for like supporting us in the beginning. Hmm. You know, I mean, they, they invested in, in our, in, in our career. They didn't, when they bought those records, they didn't expect that to go up in value. You know, so like, you know, if all of a sudden somebody's digging through his collection of, of old records and finds out like, oh yeah, I bought this Misfits record back in 1979 and they put it up for sale and they can get like 300 bucks for it. Power to them, you know? Sure. I never thought I would heard a musician say it that way. That's uh really no no, no. other musicians never like said it that way. No, 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 not at all, not at all. I think I well, I feel like you run into more often than not, especially within the punk and metal community, that I think musicians are very thankful for for the fans that they do have, whether it's a large following or a moderate or a small following. Um, Yeah, yeah. But I've never heard it put that way. Yeah, that's, that's why I've always like looked at it, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, hey, you know, if, if there's that kind of demand and you've got that, you know, and people want to pay it, you know, right. it's great because, you know, you supported the band when it was, you know, when it was nothing. Right. See, to me, that sounds like a, an elder statesman way of looking at things. Yeah. Do you... The thing about the collector's market is when people sell something brand new and call it a collectible, mm. you know, so that like, because then, then you're, you're, you're playing your fans for suckers. Because now you're, 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 you're implying to them that, like, if you buy this now for $15, in two years you can turn it over for 100 hmm. You know, and it's not that way. Very few things really become collectible and go up in value. Most things go down in value. And, you know, so, you know, I, I don't play that game. I don't, you know, I don't tell people, you know, this is a collector's item. You know, this is a future collector's item. I don't do that, you know. I, I make something, I try to make it fun, I try to make it that, you know, that people want to buy it because they, they want to buy it, not because they're buying it because they think it's going to go up in value. Do you still shop at record stores, or do you, or do you download? I haven't, I haven't really bought anything new in, in, in a couple of years. So when, okay, well let's, let's say you're thumbing through, let's say you're thumbing through the bin at a record store. You know, whether it's, yeah. whether it's CDs or vinyl. Or is, is Bobby still a CD or a vinyl guy? Which? Um, at this point, you know, CDs are more convenient, but, you know, if there's something, if the vinyl is like something really cool, I mean, I would, I would rather have vinyl, mm-hmm. but for me right now, CDs are more, are more convenient. I don't, you know, I don't own a turntable anymore. So. Uh-huh. Okay, 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 yeah. okay. Well, let's say you're in the record store. You walk in, and Bobby Steele's on the prowl for something. He's looking for something specific. You know, what, what do you immediately go for? What's, what's your go-to kind of stuff? Do you, do you have a band? Do you have a, do you have a guitar player or a singer-songwriter? Or what do you gravitate towards now? At this point, it would probably just be a sound. 
you know, I don't like, you know, I don't have any particular, like, bands or musicians, you know, that I, like, look for. It's kind of like, if, if, if I happen to be, like, out, of, you know, out somewhere and I hear a band and I, I'm like, wow, this is really good, i got to have that, you know, then I'll go and I'll, then I would go in and buy, you know, buy their record or CD. But, um, other than that, I don't, I don't, you know, I wouldn't just go in, like, you know, saying, like, you know, I'm, like, looking for something with, you know, so-and-so on guitar or, you know, something like that. What was the moment that you realized, oh, man, I got to pick up a guitar? When was that? You mean for the first time? Yeah. Oh, man, that was, that, that would have been, like, the first time I saw the Beatles on TV. Ed Sullivan? And I just, like, on the Ed Sullivan show. Okay. And that was just, like, for me, immediately, like, that's what I wanted to do, you know? And, you know, I went around, you know, we had, we had an apartment here in my house, and we would go around, me and my brother and our friends, we would go around, knocking on doors, collecting empty soda bottles, and we'd save our money, and I saved up, and I bought my first guitar. I think I was like seven or eight years old, and I tried to play it, and I just couldn't do it, and I just gave up, and I just put it away. And it wasn't until I was uh, actually like laid up after having the surgery on my spine, and I was like laid up, that uh, a, f- a friend came over and just like started like showing me how to actually play things on the guitar, and that's when I really like got serious with it. Do you have a Beatles record that you always go back to? Um, not, not at this point, no. I mean, you know, just anything about the Beatles was always like, you know, something great to hear, you know. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, I, I guess, especially with the, like, the, the real early years of the Beatles, you know, She Loves You, you know, stuff like that. So I'm a big fan of Beatles for sale. That's, I, I Right, think. yeah, that, that, that era, you know, is, is like really like fun. But then again, you know, I also like really, I like, I like a lot of Abbey Road. Okay, right on. Did you do, because uh, I tend to, out, out of that out of that group of bands, you know, whether it's the Stones, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, you know, the Mamas and the Papas, that kind of era of music, I always kind of gravitate towards the bubblegum sort of stuff. Um, right, yeah. Not bubblegum like David Cassidy bubblegum, right. but the more pop stuff, like Beatles for Sale, Mr. Moonlight, right. eight, eight Days a Week, that sort of thing. Right, the other stuff, yeah. Right. Do you, and, and you kind of coming from a pop you know, well, not necessarily pop, but punk rock. I think right. I think that punk rock has some parallels with pop music from the '60s. Um, it does. Well, that was, you know, that was like, you know, from what I saw, that was where where the roots of like, you know, the original punk rock scene came from. You know, the Ramones and groups like that were just like really just like taking the ideas from like the late '50s, early '60s, doo-wop and rock and roll, hmm. and just uh, just just playing it more simplified and with more of an edge. Hmm. Is that what you is you know when when the undead when you said I'm going to do the undead was that what you were kind of drawing from or is it yeah you know I was you know like like you know we we said earlier you know like you know I love like the early Beatles you know Dave Clark Five you know that kind of stuff so you know I really like look look towards that you know for songwriting you know influences and the playing I just kind of like got my influences from a later era but the, the songwriting even even now a lot of the times you know when I write a song you know I'm like basing it like on stuff that I like listen to when I was like seven years old. Okay. So what's what's next? What happens next? Whether it's with Bobby Steele as a guy, as a husband, as the leader of the undead, what's what's next? You know, right now we're we just uh, working on some new material. We're we're gonna start recording shortly. We're just uh finishing uh get, getting our recording equipment all the, you know, all back in order and stuff and uh so soon we're gonna start recording. We have a few new songs and uh I'm just going to be sitting down with more stuff and uh, see, like, what other ideas anybody else in the band comes up with in the meantime. And, uh, yeah, we, we, you know, we plan on, you know, trying to, you know, we plan on at least having the recording done before summer. And then uh, we want to, like, look at, you know, getting it out there and 
see what kind of interest there is for you know to get back out on the road and play. Okay. So are you going? Are you going to go the EP route, the LP route, the singles route? You know what what works for you at this point? At this point, I don't know. It, it'll be more than a single, that's for sure. It might be. It might be an EP or a mini LP, or you know, I would I would like to get like a full length LP, but at the same time, you know, I'm trying to put the time limit on, you know, when we're going to get this thing done and out there. So, you know, if it winds up just a mini LP, I'd, I'd be happy too. So, where does everybody find the Undead and Bobby Steele? You can find us on Facebook. Okay, uh, we also um, we have a website going up. It's uh, theundead.com, and uh, just. Uh, Keep an eye out for us. You know, things. You know, we're gonna start picking up. You know, action again. We're starting to do some gigs in the area, and uh, like I said, you know, once once we get this this new recording out and uh, start getting it circulating around, we want to like look into getting you know getting back out there on the road. Before we uh, wrap this up, Bobby, how accessible do you make yourself to to the fan community? Um, because it was pretty easy for me to get a hold of you. Um, it was not difficult at all. Do you? Is that how you kind of just do things in general? I, I'm an approach, yeah. I'm an approachable guy. I, yeah, I, I try to, you know, I try to keep it approachable. That's why, you know, we've got, you know, the Facebook and, you know, and everything, you know, when I'm like, when I'm like really busy, like at this point right now, Diana is like kind of being the mediator, you know, on Facebook for me. She's like, you know, going through it. And if there's any, anybody that, you know, has anything, you know, specifically aimed at me, you know, she brings, she, she calls me in and shows it to me and, you know, and I respond to them. But, you know, a lot of times it was just like some kind of, you know, generic question. She could, you know, she can answer it, you know. And, uh, you know, we, so we try, you know, we try to keep, you know, a, you know, a close relationship with the fans as close as we can. Cool. Doesn't happen much anymore. Well, you know, I mean, you know, some bands, you know, some artists can't do that because, I mean, you know, like, they, they've got a lot more fans, you know, coming, coming to them. I mean, there's a point where you, you can't handle it anymore. You know what I mean? And, you know, but right now the traffic is, is, you know, you know, we can handle it and do our best to keep in contact with people. But, I mean, if we were getting, like, you know, a thousand a day, we wouldn't be able to respond to everybody again, you know. All right. Gotcha. Okay, Bobby, thanks for being on the show, man. All right. Hey, thanks Thanks for having us on, and uh, thanks for having us in your living rooms, <laughs> as he has to say in the old days on TV. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep in touch, and I'll, I'll let you know when, when the new stuff is, is available, and we'll, uh, we'll get it out there. We live or die, what keeps us going is this fire. 